Henry Fairley, a British political journalist and social critic known for popularizing a term we still use today, the establishment, said gluttony and lust are the only sins that abuse something that is essential to our survival. Hmm. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, and this is my lovely wife, Nikki. Hello. And this is Religionless Christianity, the show where every week we do our best to help Christians figure out how to live a life that's pleasing to God in this secular and wicked world. So um, we're happy to have you here. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If you've been here for a while, consider uh, leaving us a nice review, I guess, if you got got some free time. Um, follow us if you haven't done so. Subscribe, whatever platform that you're on and all that sort of stuff. We would certainly appreciate it. But today, we are going to be discussing our seventh and final deadly sin. It's taken us a long time to get here, but it's going to be gluttony today. And you would be forgiven if you uh, forgot that there was actually seven and thought there was only six, because uh, this final sin seems to be almost entirely forgotten about yeah. and overlooked in modern American society. Um, however, it is still a sin. So uh, before we get to all of that, though, the news of the week and gluttony and all that good stuff. <laughs> um, is there anything you would like to say? Yeah, the prayer request. Um, my stepdad, um, he had to have surgery um, on his um, shoulder and elbow, I believe, and it was going to be several weeks of recovery. And he's a tattoo artist, and um, I think he has to take a lot, a lot of time off uh, before he can get back into that. But he's a really good tattoo artist. Um, we're in Jackson, Michigan, my family tattoo. So when he is all recovered, if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> we don't have tattoos though. Just nothing. It's just so we never really, I don't know, blank canvas. cared. I, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I mean, I always thought, oh, the ones that are like your kids' names or something, if it was meaningful, but for me personally, if I would ever get one. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, he's very talented, free hand and everything. But anyway, be praying for him that he would have a full recovery and and it wouldn't take longer than expected. And, and Yeah, it's definitely one of those careers. You know, a lot of times you can break your arm and make do. Um, but if you're a artist of any sort, yeah. you know, you would not want to go to a tattoo artist. And he's like, I'm using my left hand today. You'd be like, <laughs> no, you're not. Nope, that's permanent. So pray for Lee. Uh, pray for me also. I just submitted, I've been talking to you guys about this for months and months now, but I finally submitted my final religious accommodations appeal. This is really the end of the road for appealing um, the COVID-19 vaccine. I think to date, they're batting a thousand on denying these. So outside of a move of God, um, softening somebody's heart, so just pray for that, you know, that somebody's heart would be softened um, or just, you know, things would work out however God deems they would work out. So um, also pray for, I talk to you guys every week about cardinal contingency solutions. Um, business is picking up for them and that's awesome. They're getting lined up with, you know, more, you know, local city government offices, fire departments. Um, 
the city manager that we've worked with a lot um, through them has pitched them to some of the other bigger cities in the area. So that's more potential business, which is great. And even bigger than that, um, they're potentially, or there are, they're scheduled to go and work with some non-governmental organizations out on the West Coast, which is starting to get even closer into that wheelhouse of what they um, have always hoped to do. So just pray for them that that business would go well and that it would increase and they'd be able to handle that increase appropriately. And uh, also, my mother is traveling this week, so pray for her safe travels. (laughs) And speaking of mothers, we forgot, I'm pretty sure, to mention Mother's Day last week with all of the chaos surrounding the Supreme Court leak (laughs) on abortion. So a happy belated Mother's Day out there. I did make a TikTok on Mother's Day about mothers. So I did do my due diligence there. <laughs> we just forgot to mention it here because our podcast came out the day before Mother's Day. So sorry all right. to all the moms. Anywho, <laughs> um, I will again just make sure I get my weekly plug-in of Cardinal Contingency Solutions. Again, if you're... <laughs> if you... Live life and work somewhere. Cardinal has a solution (laughs) for you, I promise. Um, I just sat through one of their counter-messaging lessons and listened to it, and it's great. You know, it's it's not just one of those, you know, so often you get people that come out, especially, you know, government organizations and stuff like that, and it's a lot of academics, and it's a lot of theory and how things might work and potentially could work, and I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but Cardinal's going to give you stuff that you can use. Like it's stuff that you can actually take from a meeting and go and implement immediately into your life and improve your situation, right? Um, And that's very useful. So, you know, if you're a city government, if you're law enforcement, a first responder, church, missionaries, um, if anything, reach out to Cardinal. They have something that they can help you with. I mean, counter messaging is something everybody that has any sort of um, public persona at all should be studying up on um, because everybody's trying to exploit. You know, exploitation is basically big business. Now, I mean, if God forbid, if you're a law enforcement officer, exploitation is probably one of the things you're most worried about on a day-to-day basis is people trying to exploit you. So Cardinal has some solutions for you there. Just reach out to them. And then also, we are still proud members of the uh, Christian podcast community. So make sure that you follow the links down below. They have over, or we have over 50 podcasts, all different, you know, arenas of Christian life. They're adding new podcasts, you know, weekly and monthly. So jump on there. I'm sure you'll find something that you enjoy. And it's something that's not just whatever the biggest podcast that Spotify can push out to you. Nothing wrong with those big podcasts, but there's thousands and thousands of great, thoughtful Mm -hmm. um, Christian men and women that are podcasting and Spotify is not looking to promote them. So you can jump on Christian Podcast Community where we're looking to promote them. And you can find mm-hmm. stuff um, that fits your needs. So 
We like listening to them, and we're sure you will too. So, all right. Gird your loins as we wade into the murky swamp that is our news media. So it is that time of week for our trek through the valley of the shadow of death as we look at the news media, our wonderful mainstream news media. And this first story here um, comes from the New York Post. And I don't really care so much about the story. You know, a lot of the news this week was on abortion and just, Mm -hmm. you know, the protests and the marches all over the country. And the thing is, is they just strike me as mostly fake, like all this stuff. Um, Because, like, who has the time at the drop of a bucket, you know, oh, man, a Supreme Court leak happens. And then, like, the next day there's a rally. There's a protest somewhere. You know, at a Capitol building somewhere. They put that together really quick. Yeah, like, who has the time for that? And, like, this lady in the picture here, who has a bullhorn? But you see all these protests and people have bullhorns and signs made up. They're all ready to go. <laughs> yeah, that sign, too. It must have taken a while to make that. Yeah, like, all of them. And so it just strikes me as fake, you know. And I was thinking as I was reading through some of these different articles and watching some different news, like, I was like, maybe this is just a plan of the great resignation, right? We're seeing all these people leave the workforce and maybe it's just to free up more robots, you know, that are willing to just swallow that fear pill 24 hours a day and, you know, that just be ready to react at the drop of a hat. And Mm -hmm. so that could be something, I guess, you know, but I just thought really like if you have the time and the availability, you know, Again, at the drop of a hat on a Monday or Tuesday on a random week in May to just go and drop everything and go gather for a protest or a rally. I was like, you're either being paid for that or you're just a non-contributor. You have nothing going on, right? Oh, it's Tuesday. What are we doing? What, there's a protest? I guess, you know, it's better than, I don't know, watching The View. So I'll just go down there like... <laughs> You're a non-contributor, so your days are free, right, to just wander around the Capitol. So with that being my thought, you know, it's like we shouldn't be overly concerned seeing this sort of stuff. It's obviously propaganda, right, made to make us think a certain thing. But we shouldn't be overly concerned with the thoughts or opinions of people who are, one, being potentially paid to be there Mm because they're not authentic, right? Or if you're just a non-contributor, eh. Not all that concerned with what you're doing out in front of a capital. Like, you're not a contributor, really. So, um, and then I just thought, you know, this is basically, it's the Twitter mobs version of LARPing. You know what LARPing is? Yes. (laughs) The live action role playing. This is them. They're like, you know what? I'm going to stop trashing people on Twitter all day long. And I'm going to get out and I'm going to trash them in the streets, right? I'm going to go LARP in the streets as a Twitter mob. So I don't take it too serious. It's there. It's, you know, it's obviously just the news media is there to drive a narrative. So mm-hmm. eh, if you're, if you've got the ability to rally on a random Tuesday in May after a 12 hour notice, I don't know, yeah. strikes me as fake. So, yeah, um, although pray for them, obviously we're all Christian men and women here. Pray for them that they would at least have their eyes open on the evils of abortion, you know, 
the satanic influences that they're surrounded with, you know, this sort of like anti-responsibility, anti-self-control, pro-murder sort of crowd that they're surrounded with, eventually one or two of them might look around and be like, holy cow, like, I, not all for this, you know? So just pray, I guess, one or two of them would have their hearts softened. That would be nice, I think. <laughs> like at least one or two. Well, because <laughs> as I be was looking at too. these stories, you know, I was originally just going to breeze past the abortion thing because I don't, I was like, uh, you know, it's just all these it's rallies. It's a huge and, issue, though. Like, it's something we should always be talking about. Like, we can't let it go past us and just let's right. move on to more important. There's nothing more important. No, and that was what I was sort of tugging on me this week as we were putting this episode together because I was just going to kind of make fun of the bullhorn you know, Twitter LARPers. And then I was like, you know, I heard a, or I read an article that we're going to reference here in just a minute. And then I heard another piece of audio this week throughout it all. Um, And it just made me change my tune. You know, I think we have to continue to fight this fight on abortion until we defeat it. Like just be diligent. Yeah. Yeah. Like not grow weary. Yeah. Because this is a heinous evil. Um, At least the idea of an entire nation supporting this. You know, obviously this law, as we mentioned, is not doing away with abortion in its entirety, but just having an entire nation sign off on child sacrifice, boy, that strikes me as just poking God in the eye. (laughs) So at least on a national level, um, I don't think we can endorse the child sacrifice thing. So um, with that, you know, the evil of abortion, I just think we have to continue to fight on this yeah. because we're winning, you know, and I think it's easy to sort of let up once you mm-hmm. feel like you got the upper hand. Um, yeah, but that. they know that we get weary, but the other side isn't getting weary. They're going to keep pushing until they get their way. No, yeah, and that's what sort of also down. spurred me on a little bit because you see the frenzy that they're acting out in. Um, and when we play some of this audio, you'll hear some of the frenzy that they're acting out in, which makes you think like, oh, we really, we're, we're, you know, attacking something that Satan really holds value on, which is, you know, obviously killing innocent children, right? Uh, Doesn't the Bible say he was a murderer from the beginning? Mm -hmm. So uh, I just thought, man, we can't grow weary. So we kind of scrapped some of the news stories we were going to talk about. And we thought, you know, we'll just dive back into abortion a little bit more. Um, mostly because this main article here comes from the Christian Post, and it's about a very prominent Christian in American society, and it's titled, Tim Keller is Wrong About Abortion. So do you want to read this paragraph and then his first quote? Sure. It says, it was at this moment, just days before the leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion overruling Roe versus Wade, which is not yet final, that Tim Keller, the well-known theologian and pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, wrote a provocative tweet thread explaining that Christians should not divide over the politics of abortion. And his tweet reads, I recently wrote about how churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. Here are two biblical moral norms. One, it is a sin to worship idols or any god other than the true God. And two, do not murder. If you ask evangelicals if we should be forbidden by law to worship any other god, 
than the God of the Bible, they'd say no. We allow that terrible sin to be legal. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden by law to abort a baby, they'd say yes. Now, why make the first sin legal and never talk about it and the second sin illegal in a main moral political talking point? The Bible tells us that idolatry, abortion, and ignoring the poor are all grievous sins, but it doesn't tell us exactly how we are to apply these norms to a pluralistic democracy. I know abortion is a sin, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end. We are allowed to debate that, and so our churches uh, should not have disunity over debatable political differences. Yep. Tim Keller on abortion. And what's interesting, they make note that this actually came out before the ruling. So this was just his normal thought. Okay. Um, and he does end this with an exclamation mark. Um, so he must have been quite enthusiastic <laughs> about writing this. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe it's because he's a pastor of a church in New York City, where likely most of his congregants are pro-abortion. So maybe. for him to divide on this issue might mean he's a pastor of a church with no members. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he may not want to sure. divide on this because, you know, it basically pits him against his entire congregation, potentially. So that's just a speculation. But um, this caught my attention really due to the fact that just this last week or two, I was actually doing my daily devotionals on the idea of Christian disagreement. That's mm -hmm. one of the things we talked about um, or the thing that we talked about. And, you know, it was kind of the idea of when should we be when should we be working to keep unity and when should we be okay with disunity? Mm -hmm. um, and I would say the two topics that he brings up to make his point are, in my opinion, two reasons that we should be okay with disunity. Um, mm -hmm. If you're worshiping false idols or you don't value human life, you know, you don't believe that we're designed by a creator, like disunity on that is fine in my book. I don't know why that's yeah, a, a well, there's big nothing, deal. You're an a advocate for murdering, and you argue that it's not a sin. And the Bible tells us if we sin, you know, we're not, we're not of the truth. Like, we're pretty much not. Like, you deny your sin. They're denying that it is a sin in yeah. special cases, I well, guess. I think most of them deny <laughs> it in all cases, really. Um, but the thing is, is, like, we're not talking about you know, I wrote down infant baptism is just a thing, you know, infant or adult baptism, right? Yeah. Because that's a tough theological debate that you can have, right? That's and, not an, a sin issue. No, I mean... So you don't need to divide over that. Right. You would be like, why on earth would we divide over something like this? But he's discussing breaking two of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And he says maintaining unity is more important than adhering to God's commandments. And I just believe he's wrong. That just sounds like the coexist bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds exactly like it. Sure. Do whatever you want. Commit any sin you want. But like, let's not rock the Unity. boat. Let's not be mean to each other. I yeah. mean, my goodness, don't be mean. So, you know, it's like, how do you find unity with somebody that's like, oh, you know, after church, I'm going to go and pray to Allah and then sacrifice my kid to Moloch. And you're like, cool, man. God loves you. 
see you for lunch. I don't know. That just, I feel like that's a big no in my book. Um, I know. But I just, something else that author said that I wanted to bring up and I disagree with it. He said, Christians are therefore within their reason to not expect unbelievers to worship the true God while also demanding that unbelievers and all people not enslave others. So he's like comparing to slavery. He says the same is true for abortion, which is even more harmful than slavery. And I was just thinking how um, Acts uh, 17.30, that's what popped into my head. It says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So yes, as believers, we should expect unbelievers to live by God's commands, to believe the gospel as well as obey his commands, because God commands all people to do that. So for us, it is within reason to hold all people accountable to all of God's commands, like even believing on him. Yeah, I do think yeah. that that's an idea that gets lost on Christians, I think. Maybe is that like somehow the Bible and God's laws and God's commands are for Christians and that we can't really expect the unbeliever to follow them. But that's not true, right? If we're Christians, we know that God is the creator. Right. He is the Lord over all the earth. Yeah. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So like we may know in our heart and in our mind that they're ultimately not going to follow those, but we shouldn't accept it and just be like, right. eh, you know, they murder. That's just what they do. No, we should be yeah. like aggressively informing them that like, no, God says you should not murder. God says that you should not commit adultery. Like we should be holding them as best yeah. we can to these standards, should, even though we know they won't ultimately live yeah. up to it. It's still, that's a command for them to follow as well. Yeah. We should like let them know, like God says this before the law says it. And are you obeying because God says it? Or are you only not murdering because it's the law of the land? Like, who are you really following? Why are you obeying? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just a thought that gets lost on people that, you know, somehow unbelievers aren't required to follow the same laws as they don't. We can hold them accountable there. But yeah. they sh we should be expecting yeah. and informing them that they ultimately do have to. Um, yeah. Because he's not the God of just Christians. He's the God of everybody. Yeah. Um, it's just that. We need, to, we need to say it that way, though. They do it because God says, not because it's the law, but God is the higher. You need to fear him more right, than you fear the authorities. The argument for every Christian to make is just, you don't have to try to win and justify and, you know, defeat every argument. Just God said it. Pretty God said simple. it. The Bible says that you shall not murder. That's God's command for all of the people on this planet. And if they're like, well, I don't, what do you mean morals and objective truth? The Bible says you shall not murder. That's God's commandment for everybody on the planet. Mm -hmm. They don't have to believe it. It doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. So. And I was looking at the comments. Well, just a couple of comments uh, struck me in, um, on this article. He says, uh, laws can only regulate actions and not heart motives. He says, worship is not ultimately an action. It's a state of the heart toward God. And he says more on that matter. And I agree with him. I, and uh, laws, 
They try to stop sin from taking place as an outward action that affects others. Because all sin begins in the heart, so they, they all have the same origin. Nobody, nobody's even claiming that laws can change a heart. And this is why I was thinking, um, like, it's such a blessing that we have people going into prisons and preaching the gospel to them. And so hopefully their hearts will change, and then they'll obey God's laws, and it'll be out of love and worship of God and not so much just fear of authority. So all of this is connected. And I just think we as Christians, we can't separate politics and religion. They go, no, because these, I mean, these are heart issues. Like he said, like this has to do well, with that's God what's ultimately. So I think loony about his argument there that, you know, worshiping a false idol is a sin and so is murder. Well, why don't we have a law against worshiping false idols? Because worshiping a false idol, right? Like that's your heart. Yeah, it's you can't mm-hmm. regulate how the heart feels. And we in America, we don't regulate how your heart feels. You know, if you can love who you want to love, you can hate who you want to hate, but you can't act on it in every sense. I mean, you know, if you right. hate somebody and you act out in violence towards them or something like that, we we stop the act. We can't affect the heart, right? Because we don't know what the heart believes. Mm-hmm. So making a law against you worshiping a false idol is not something we can do. But murder, quite different. Mm-hmm. That is putting the end to somebody's life. Again, going against one of our God-given constitutional rights to life. So that is a law that we're able to to act on. That's a sin, yes, but it's also something that we should be actively trying to stop because you're taking somebody else's rights that the Constitution enshrines, not mm-hmm. to mention God and his Ten Commandments enshrines that you shall not murder. So mm-hmm. I think it's a sort of a silly argument that he's trying to make. Um, it is silly. And I was thinking, hon, like, um, like men that don't fear God, but they fear uh, the punishment of breaking the law of the land. And it's like... If everybody just feared God and obeyed his commands, we wouldn't have to have governments to come in and enforce and have like an immediate punishment. Because like people who don't fear God, they will be punished eternally. But they fear more this temporal punishment than they fear eternal punishment. It's just kind of a weird thing. It's like. I mean, and that's, you know, what we do. Obviously, I've told you guys I'm doing the jail ministry now and stuff. And. That's a lot of the talks that we have. And what you'll hear a lot from the guys in jail is that, you know, somebody dropped the charges or, you know, they got something wrong or, you know, it's like they don't really want to own up to what they did wrong necessarily. They make excuses a lot for it. And like you said, if you don't actually change the heart of somebody, then if all they're fearing is authority that Mm -hmm. might punish them, well, then if they think the authority won't punish them, then they'll be free to do whatever they want. Whereas we do want to affect that heart change mm-hmm. to where you realize that there's a higher authority. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that you don't want to be punished, right? Because we as Christians should not be doing what we do and following scripture because we're afraid of punishment. Right, exactly. That is something, I mean, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's also, it's out of love that we do what God says, not yes, out of fear. Because he's for revealed himself as merciful and loving. 
he doesn't reveal himself as like just be afraid of him and if you mess up he's gonna strike you with lightning or like he has revealed himself in such a humble way and that's what we know that's how you come to him that's the god you come to when you're saved <laughs> yeah so just the idea that like these things are not something that we should have disunity over i just it strikes me as bizarre that that would be a position you would try to take because like we have a large number of men and women in this country like just getting back to the abortion idea and murder as he called it um that they just claim that the ability to control you know a woman's child or their child's birth after becoming pregnant is more important than the life of that child. Mm -hmm. So their yeah. claim is that my ability to regulate that child's birth, if I want it or not, is more important than the child's life. Mm. Not to mention the importance that, um, or that regulating that birth, controlling that birth is more important than sexual purity, right? Because they want to have the lifestyle they want to have but still be able to control that birth at the end of it. Mm. Um, so, you know, these brothers and sisters in the faith, like they claim to have faith in a creator, um, yet they don't value human life. They value their personal freedom. Mm -hmm. They value their life, but they don't value life overall. So we have to fight against that. You know, we as Christians can't have unity and nor should we strive to have unity um, with those that don't value human life or the creator of that life. Because I think ultimately, if you don't value the human life, you undervalue at best the creator of that life because he's the one going, I want this baby to be born. And you're like, not yeah. on my watch. And how many mothers are like, I would die for my child. But no, I wouldn't. Like, that's very wishy-washy. It's like, don't you yeah. love your child even before you see it? Would you not die for your child? Would you not sacrifice for your child? But instead, it's the total opposite. They're like, no, this child being born is actually going to ruin um, my comfortable life or my pursuits, my future. Yeah, because that's one of their main arguments, right? They always want to say life of the mother. That's super important. So, yeah, the argument then would be, if your baby was born, would you not give your life for it? And if they would say yes, you either know they're lying, or you can say, well, why wouldn't you give your life for your baby now? Or at least risk your life. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, why would you not risk your life for your faith? Again, if you True. believe in a creator who creates life, every life has value, and he creates that life, why would you not? potentially give your life for that creator again you can't be like oh i'd i'd be willing to stand and die for my faith and then god's like all right well i want you to have this baby that i'm creating and you're like but that's risky to me yeah right again i feel like it's pretty wishy-washy so yeah um it's hard to have unity with that and i think we need to stand against that you know uh because we can love them you know when they're what I would say wrong on this point, we can love them, we can pray for them, we can reach out to them. Um, but I don't feel that you need to be so concerned with bringing them in and then treating them just like everybody else. Right. When they're this off on valuing life, valuing the creator. Because the thing is like, how are they going to see that they're wrong if you just bring them in and treat them like they're, you know, everybody else? Um, oh, well, you know, that guy disagrees on tithing is 10% and 
you know, Bill over there disagrees on, you know, I don't know, wearing a suit to church and, you know, Tommy over there, he, he disagrees on killing babies. And you're like, what? <laughs> one of those doesn't seem like the other. Um, yeah. So like if that sin isn't pointed out and they aren't corrected in that sinful thought, to me, I'm okay, you know, with that rock in the boat. Because otherwise, they're not going to change, in my opinion. Exactly. And we were talking about this earlier today at the gym, that it's like, if you're the kind of person that scripture doesn't move you to change your opinion and change your mind on something, I would fear for your salvation. If yeah. somebody can open up the Bible and show you, like Leviticus 18.21, don't sacrifice your child to Moloch, um, that life is important, that they can show you that God knew you before he formed you, that he mm -hmm. knits you together. And he can show you all the scripture. And you're just like, nah, I was watching CNN earlier today and they made a pretty compelling case. Like I would worry for my heart mm -hmm. and my salvation if scripture didn't move me to change. Um, because I mean, we should all be somewhat open and not be completely staunch in our beliefs you know, especially if we're surrounded by other men and women that we trust have a solid faith and a solid understanding and a love for the Lord, we should be willing to be like, oh, wait, what are you talking about? No, I didn't think that. And they're like, no, no, look, let's open up the Bible and talk about it. You should be able to be like, oh, man, I, okay, that's what the word says. I guess I need to change my thinking. But if someone yeah. can show you that and you're just like, well, yeah, but what about the life of the mom? Like, you're not, like, you just want to, like, poke them in the head. And, like, it's not getting through to you. So I would, I would worry about your salvation if you don't feel moved at all by being presented with Scripture and you claim to be a Christian. Um, yeah. So let me see. Oh, I grabbed this verse down here. So because um, it's the same thing, too, right, with the, or the murder and the abortion. Again, if they're worshiping a false idol— you know, again, you should be able to point that out to them, that they're worshiping a false idol. And I get Tim Keller's probably not talking about praying to Allah. That might be an extreme. But even if it's to the point where somebody is placing money um, above their relationship with the Lord, you know, maybe, uh, I mean, who knows, maybe they're selling drugs and they're making a fortune out of it. And you know, you're trying to tell them that it's wrong because it hurts people and all these sorts of things. And they're just like, yeah, man, but I'm making a bunch of money. You'd be like, dude, you're worshiping money over the creator. Like you don't show up to church anymore. You don't do anything in a, you know, a Bible study group. You don't pray. You don't do any of this stuff. You know, you're selling drugs that harm people, that kill people, that put people in prison. You're doing all these things wrong. And you're just like, yeah, man, but I make a bunch of money. You would have that same sort of disunity that like, yeah. hey, man, I don't know that we can be like, I'm going to pray for you and love you. But like, we aren't boys anymore. Like, you can't just show up to church here either when there's a potluck. You know, <laughs> if you're a pimp and you got your girls with you. Yeah. Like, no, man, that's a different sort of thing. And I'm okay with that being something that drives disunity. And I pulled up 1 Corinthians. We referenced, we referenced this verse a lot on this show, I think. <laughs> um, 
because I think American Christianity is very adverse to this verse, <laughs> adverse to this verse. Um, but it says in there that sexually immoral and idolatrous people, and then he goes on to say, do not even eat with such a person. And I mentioned sexually immoral here, uh, pulled this up from abort73.com, but it mentions here that 86% of all abortions come from unmarried women. So those are sexually immoral people. Um, so why should we divide or divide over this issue? Why should we have disunity over this uh, issue of abortion? Um, why would Paul even tell us not to eat with these types of people? Mm -hmm. uh, well, he tells us earlier in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 5 that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So a little bit of this sin being mixed into the leaven of your church, of your mm -hmm. brethren, can leaven or infect that entire body of believers. And this is something we've railed about on this show forever that, you know, just using your church building and your Sunday morning services as outreach opportunities to just call in all the sinners from the surrounding towns to come fill in your pews every Sunday. Because they just need to feel loved and accepted. Yeah, and you don't ever just answer. hammer them and convict them of their sins and call them to, you know, all these sorts of things. But you're just like, ah, be in here and maybe you'll, enough Jesus will rub off on you that you'll get saved. And But that's not what we read in scripture. Yeah, Outreach ministry is to go and find sinners and preach the gospel. And once they get saved, they come to church where yeah. they can be sharpened. And if you just invite a whole bunch of sinners into your church, how are you sharpening? Like we've talked about this before, a, a biblical message about tithes and offerings. That's not a salvation message. That's not a message that's going to draw a sinner to repentance. They need to hear the gospel, but your believing body of Christians in your church, they need to hear about tithing and offering because that's a Christian discipline. Mm -hmm. So that Sunday morning should be about sharpening your brothers and sisters, your flock, preparing them to go out into the world to find these sinners, not just to be lazy and go, hey, if you know somebody, bring them by. We're having a potluck and we're talking about tithing. And you're like, okay, <laughs> um, what about the gospel? What about sin and repentance? We'll get to that next month, you know? Anyways, um, just, you know, I just think that we're so terrified in modern Christianity of having standards for our faith. Like this idea of not allowing everybody into our church somehow makes us hateful, you know, so we're willfully choosing to live and just mingle day in and day out with people that speak against the Christian faith, don't adhere to Christian doctrine. And we're allowed to just sort of or we're just wanting, I guess, necessarily to bring these people in and just let them be a part of us because we don't want to be those mean Christians that kick people out and tell them that there's a standard. I mean, heaven forbid we we tell you that Jesus actually expects you to live a certain but way. No churches actually are preaching that. I mean, some are, but most churches aren't even teaching that. So why no. would they even think that outsiders, unbelievers, are assuming that? If believers aren't even <laughs> taught that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I don't know if that's because they're just fearful of driving away even the believer. I think they're just afraid of having a bad image among unbelievers. Like they just want to be likable. 
Like, I think that's definitely the case. I mean, but if you pleasers. take a Tim Keller, you know, you're in a pretty sinful environment in New York City. Not to say that there's not believers there, but I would imagine you're getting a lot of people in that church that hold to a lot of secular humanist ideas, probably. I mean, most of liberal ide- ideology these days are secular, humanistic, you know, ideas. So to just call these people to the carpet, you're going to find probably disunity on a lot of different issues. Um, But like you said, you know, why don't they do this? Maybe for fear, but like, if we're supposed to be following Jesus, he's the, the disciple maker, you know, he's the one that we're following. He did this. He wasn't afraid to send people away that weren't really willing to follow him Mm. in all his ways. And I got Matthew 19 verse 22. We're talking about the rich young ruler here. And, you know, he asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him a couple things, you know, commandments to follow. And he's like, yes, yes, I do all those things. So what else must I do? And then Jesus says in verse 20, or he tells him to sell all of his possessions or give all of his possessions to the poor. Mm-hmm. And it says in verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And then what it doesn't say is that Jesus you know, said, ah, oh, hey, hold on a second. Come on back here, you know, and then softened his message. He let the man leave. He told him the truth. The guy didn't like the truth. He left and Jesus appeared okay with that. Is he say right after that, like, it's harder for a rich yeah, person then he to tells enter the him, kingdom of God? That's yeah. in the same. Then he tells him it's hard for a rich man, but he doesn't soften his message. He tells them God's standard. He gives them God's standard. They can either accept it or not. And that's just the way it is. And that's the way it needs to be with us. Mm -hmm. Again, in love, in compassion, reaching out, not closing doors on people. You know, it's not like, hey, I told you about abortion. Don't you ever talk to me again. You know, you keep that line of communication open, but it doesn't mean that you just sort of treat them like they're a fully devoted follower of Christ. You have to acknowledge that there's a, something that could potentially keep them from earning salvation and yeah you need to warn them that they like with the scriptures that i mean salvation is a process like it's not like a one and done like he keeps you um until the end the sanctification like all of that work is the rest of your life yeah so you are (laughs) you need to help them along and warn them when they're off the path they're believing wrong and we're supposed to try to guide them back on that path if they were ever really once on it. And the thing is, is you would want someone to do this for you. If you're actually thoughtful and concerned about your salvation, you would want that if you were wildly off base, just running down the wide path that leads to death, that people wouldn't just let you think that that's okay. That they wouldn't just treat you like, ah, you know, it's just one of those little sins. We all commit them. No, you'd want them to be like, hey, man, like you need to get your life right. You're on, like you're walking the wide path to death. Like you would hope, I would hope that if I was that wildly off, again, we're not talking about something like infant baptism where you're like, ah, I see your point. I disagree. I have my verses. You have your verses. We can still love each other. We can still serve. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about like something that you can 
very easily go to hell if you believe. If you don't hold to following God's commandments, you don't value life, you don't value the creator. To me, that's a very easily understandable like salvation issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. So if I was to hold one of those opinions, I would hope that somebody would care enough because Paul tells us in his um, epistles that the reason you do this is to shame them, mm. to potentially bring them back. So if you just bring them in and treat them like everything's fine, everybody has their little you know, political differences, it's no big deal, then they become resolute in that. They're like, hey, God loves me just the way I am. You know, don't put that burden on me. God loves me. Who are you to tell? No, they need to be told that like, hey, man, like there'll be people that say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And he's going to be depart from me, you workers of iniquity, right? That could be you. So I know that's what I was just reading. And I can't remember exactly where that Jesus, he was manifested in order to destroy the works of the devil in us, not just destroying death and hell but he destroyed the works that satan's doing in us through our flesh he operates through our flesh and our spirit yeah. so that is the gospel <laughs> yeah and that's what i mean like when you hear that and you're presented with it and it doesn't move you but you're more moved by your atheistic college professor mm. or your celebrity that you think is cool when that moves you more than the gospel than scripture than the commands of god and you profess to be a christian i mean i would challenge your faith that if being presented with scripture doesn't move you yeah i mean just interesting thoughts so you know just that idea that tim keller brings up i think is false i think disunity on those topics is acceptable Again, for the sake of shaming them to bring them back in right alignment with the faith, not to complete. And it doesn't, again, this could be a family member, a loved one, doesn't mean that you're writing them out of your life, but it means that you're treating them differently. You're letting them know that you guys are not in alignment with each other spiritually, that you believe them. There's no fellowship anymore. Like the fellowship's like broken. What are you having fellowship over? Yeah. Like you have to let them know that like, Hey, we have a very serious difference here. And that difference I believe is going to send you to hell. That's pretty dire. Um, but then also just to step back a little bit on this, I am curious of your guys' opinions on Tim Keller. Um, because this was Tim Keller's quote. Um, I've had one of his books before and he's obviously a big name in Christendom in America. And I don't know who he once was, you know, during the Mars Hill podcast, they make reference in the early days of Mark Driscoll that Tim Keller was even a big name then, you know, in the early 90s. And um, but as of recently, you know, he was one of the main pastors, I think, implicated in that Daily Wire story with Francis Collins and um, sort of the government officials that were using pastors to preach COVID propaganda to their churches. So Tim Keller was one of those guys. Um, And then now you see this. And then if you follow Tim Keller on Twitter, where he posted this, um, I follow him on Twitter. I don't get on Twitter very much anymore, but I do occasionally get on there. And it seems to me like he purposefully looks to take points on or points of view on Christianity 
that are going to upset a lot of people. That seems to be like his shtick. Um, almost like he's just become a Christian agitator. Mm. And maybe that's what he is. Maybe that's what he's trying to be, you know, a pot stir. I don't know. So I am curious what you guys think of um, Tim Keller. I'd be interested to hear. And what you think on this issue. Again, we're open to discussion, but I don't see a lot of wiggle room in the pro-abortion camp for Christians. But again, we would love to hear your guys' take on it. So the next story that got me going on the abortion talk, this is, you guys may have heard this, it was a uh, an audio clip from... Uh, from Wisconsin Family Life or Family Action, some of the voicemail recordings that they got after the Roe v. Wade, I think, trial stuff came out. Um, so I just wanted to share this and let you, I don't know, and then we'll comment on it after we hear it. Hi, I'm calling because I read about the fire in your building. And I'm calling because I'm curious if it was arson or rather the good Lord showing you an example of hell and where you belong for being such a misogynistic <laughs> Thanks for uh, basically going out there daily and making sure that women can't have control over their own bodies. And I'm so thankful that the good Lord finally took action on people like you. You're going to burn as well. You're all going to burn. You f***ing think you're following the will of f***ing Jesus? You're following the f***ing devil, actually. You're just evil little f***ing people try to control other people's lives. And next time that f***ing bolt off, I hope it f***ing doesn't f***ing miss. I hope you all burn with it. That's what you deserve. <laughs> yeah, you must be a pretty perverted group if that's all you got to do all day long is think about people's sex organs. Leave your f***ing beliefs out of the government. You got no rights to be priding into other people's private family matters. So that goes on like that for obviously another minute, minute 15. Yeah, you um, listen to all of it. <laughs> so I just, I thought that was important. Again, talking about our brothers and sisters who still cling to this pro-choice mantra. Like, this is who you have in your corner mm -hmm. if you're standing in the pro-abortion camp. Um, you know, those who claim to be Christian and pro-abortion, these are the people you're standing with. Um, you know, there's an old saying that I like to tell my boys because um, they're older now. And I've told them this for a while now, like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So... Pro-choice Christians, here are your friends. You know, how do you suppose your future is going to look? You have unity with these people, fellowship with them. <laughs> yeah, these are the people you have fellowship with. You here have in... more in common with them than with believers, really. Because I was thinking, like, what other issues of faith do Christians prefer to side with Satanists on? Hmm. Because, again, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, right? We were told. and killing babies, um, sacrificing to Moloch, a very satanic thing. Um, Satanism is all about self-love, 
you know, self satisfaction, you know, the Alistair Crowley do as thou wilt. Well, I think the abortion issue is the worst one, but I think that a lot of professing um, Christians do like everything else that Satan would promote. Like if it's abortion, why not everything else? Well, right. And this is something we talked about last week. You know, if you're willing to go and um, kill your child for the sake of your own, um, I guess, your own selfishness, I guess. Um, because the thing is, they always want to make the claim, right? It's the life of the mother, rape and incest. But Planned Parenthood, 92% of their abortions are elective. So they're not life of the mother um, rape or incest by and large they're Hey, I got pregnant at an inconvenient time. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're the kind of person that would be like, I have a lot going on at work right now and you're going to go and get an abortion. It just seems unlikely to me that again, you're not going to give in to another sin somewhere else. That's lesser. Yeah. Like, Oh, I don't gossip. That's a sin but I am going to go and have an abortion. Like, uh, maybe you should flip those around. But the fact that it's 92% elective, that just means a lot of adultery or just not waiting till marriage. That's all. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the other way we follow Satanism, Satanists. Yeah. I mean, sexual immorality, of course. Um, and that's big in the Christian community, just like it is in secular society. Um, but a lot of the people who, Christians who support pro-choice are people who don't believe in um, waiting till you're married and, or they're already living with, with their boyfriend or girlfriend and they're not, not even engaged or married yet and they're already on that path. So why, you know, if they're not convicted about a smaller, smaller sin, then it's just like there's no conviction anywhere. Anything you bring up, they're just very steeped in the world. And I think this is why it's important (laughs) to have the disunity and to make the case for the disunity, because like if you allow them to go down this path, even to the point of having an abortion and stuff like that, like and I'm no psychologist, but for even just the sake of our own sanity and our own ability to live and not just hate ourselves into a depressed state all the time, you have to justify these things away. Um, And I think that's what a lot of people do. You know, they justify stuff that they may know is a sin, but because they've given into it, they just begin to justify, well, we love each other. God knows we love each other. We're married in God's eyes. You know, no, you're living with each other out of wedlock um you're sleeping with each other out of wedlock but you just sort of excuse it away you know you have an abortion because you were sexually immoral with the person you shouldn't have been with um and you just begin to sort of rather than accepting that sin that you walked into you sort of just make excuses for it you try to make arguments as to why it really isn't that bad and um you just become more resolute, I think, in that sin. So if there's not people there standing that you probably even love or have a relationship with that are telling you that you're wrong, 
you need to repent and turn from that sin. I mean, what hope do you have, really? That's all you can. You got to, you're at rock bottom. All you can do is repent. But we convince yeah. ourselves we're not at rock bottom. It's hard to humble you. You have to humble yourself, though. That's the thing. You don't want to admit you're at rock bottom. That's pride. Yeah. It's Humility difficult. is the only way out of that hole that you put yourself in. So as we move along here on this abortion topic, um, the last thing that I heard that really, um, you know, again, why we wanted to talk about this again today. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of Kathy Barnett. I don't know if you had ever heard of Kathy Barnett up to this point. I don't think so. Now, you know our feelings on politics and politicians. Not a big fan here on religionless Christianity. And I'm not going to tell you who to vote for if you're from Pennsylvania. I'm not going to tell you to vote for Kathy Barnett because odds are she won't be a great senator. Not because anything she's done wrong or anything she's said wrong. Necessarily, it's just, you know, very few men or women walk into what I would call Satan's alcove there in Washington, D.C., and prove to have the stomach to do anything of real value. So the odds are stacked against her. But I will say I wouldn't support Mehmet Oz either because he seems like a pro-abortion, transhumanist, liberal, dressed up as a Republican, I suppose. Um, but let your conscience guide you there. Uh, but the reason I wanted to mention Kathy Barnett is really just her story on abortion, because again, it fits into what we're talking about. And we had this friend, um, who again, is a friend of ours who we have gotten into a place of disunity with over this issue of abortion. And um, she sent us something, a link on, you know, as she was trying to make her argument for why she's pro-abortion. Um, and it's this link right here. I'm not going to read all of it, but do you want to read? Well, it just says, I'm not pro-murdering babies. And then read this one. Yeah, it goes on to list all the different situations. Like, I'm pro this person and this was their situation. So it's like names. I'm pro the person in their situation. So this one says, I'm pro little Kathy who had her innocence ripped away from her by someone she should have been able to trust and her 11-year-old body isn't mature enough to bear the consequence of that betrayal. Yep, so here she's saying, look, I'm not pro-abortion, but don't you love little Kathy? I mean, my God, she's 11 years old. How could you possibly saddle her in her young body with the burden of childbirth? And I thought, boy, you know, I just heard something this week from a state senator or a senator candidate by the name of Kathy Barnett. So we're just going to play this little How bit weird. here. weird. Both Kathy's? Both Kathy's. <laughs> so we'll just play this. Hopefully you guys can hear it all right. Uh, whether this was a leak or whether it was a tactical operation, we will soon figure out. But one thing is clear. I am so very grateful that our nation is now having a very important conversation. And that is one of the most important conversations. That is about life. I am the byproduct of a rape. My mother was 11 years old when I was conceived. My father was 21. I was not just a lump of cells. So I thought, boy, that's odd. Here is our pro-choice friend who's claiming you should be pro-choice because of little Kathy, who's this fictitious girl, obviously, probably from this story, who's 11 years old and was raped. I thought, boy, here's Kathy Barnett 
now on the verge of, it sounds like, winning the Senate seat in Pennsylvania, whose mother was raped at 11 years old and chose life, chose to roll the dice, though I'm sure she had a lot of pushback. Um, Mm -hmm. And she had her baby, and her baby grew up to be Like, is it really even true that an 11-year-old can't handle giving birth or even like that she could have a c-section i just thinking like an 11 year old having an abortion that could mess her up so she could never have children later in life and it could cause more complications mentally and physically for her like she's already got the trauma of being raped and being pregnant but the only thing good that comes out of the situation is her child like that child although it's conceived in a horrible way, can bring immense joy to you. Like that child's not going to be born and you're going to hate it. Like you're going to have a natural motherly love and compassion for that child and knowing God's the creator of all life. Even through an act as evil as rape, like it's still created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's what you got to teach when someone's raped, especially a little child. Like the way they handle things just teaching them no kill the baby there's something wrong with the baby and it's just teaching you to have a just killing that motherly instinct in them yeah i think it's a selfish instinct too right because i mean and this may not be the case for every everybody that's in that rape boat but i've heard you know talks before too that having this child would be a lifelong reminder of this heinous act that was committed against you and again that's that's not I'm true. not doubting that. Well, but, and it may be true, right? You're, it could potentially be a lifelong reminder, but that's also a selfish um, stance to take that, hey, you know what? I'm going to be affected by this constant reminder, though God could set you free from that. Yeah. But I don't want to deal with the constant reminder. Therefore, I'm going to kill that reminder. That is evil repaying or repaying evil with evil. Um, and again, like you mentioned, 11 year old girl, they're trying to tell you the loving thing is to abort the baby. Man, how do you not know that's going to mess her up far worse than anything that that rape could have done? Um, yeah, in the murder long run. is worse than rape. Yes. So I don't know why everybody looks at rape as, as worse. Like you're doing a more wicked thing because of a lesser wicked thing that doesn't, that doesn't solve anything. No, it's the mental gymnastics you have to do to make abortion seem okay. And all of this sort of pro-choice Christianity, like all of it to me really just says one thing is that God can't move here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like God can't provide for the future. Yeah, like and this is just beyond God's control, you know? So therefore I have to control it, you know? Like God made a mistake in allowing me to conceive. That's what you're saying. Yeah. that's. I mean, essentially, that would be what you're saying. He he didn't understand my financial situation. He didn't understand yeah. the, the situation with the rape. He didn't see that coming. It's saying that, like, Jesus doesn't sympathize with us. Like, he does. He understands all emotional things we go through, all traumatic things. But he, the fact is, he is our peace. He is our strength and our provider. It's a lack of faith in him being a loving father. Yeah. No, I think to me, that's all it speaks to. And I don't know how you get around that. 
um, from a pro-choice position. Um, but I did pull up here 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, and it reads, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men or women will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but, a, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So there again, Paul is uh, mm. instructing disunity, in mm. my opinion, with people who follow these lifestyles. Um, and I would say the pro-choice, pro-murder, sexually immoral, um, God's not in control crowd would fit into a Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 mode that we're to turn away from um, in hopes, again, of shaming them and bringing them back into right alignment with God. So as we look to end this discussion on abortion and move into, we do have one last story that we just had to get in here before we get on to gluttony. Do you have any last thoughts on the abortion topic? Hundreds, but let's move on. <laughs> we may be talking about abortion again next week. Um, but this news story was so creepy, we just had to make sure we mentioned it. So <laughs> this one comes from, where did I get this? Leading Britain's Conversation, I guess. And the headline is, Indian doctor plans world first womb transplant into trans woman better known as man. Um, so this is <laughs> super creepy. Oh, let me pull that back Ugh. up here. It says, um, do you want to read these? You want me to read complicated names? Well, I'll just say <laughs> Dr. K. Dr. K, uh, he will perform the experimental surgery at his gender reassignment practice. The Olmec Clinic in the Indian capital. The organ will come from either a dead donor or from a woman who has had their womb removed in their process of becoming a man. Yep, and it says the operation, which could become the first successful surgery of its kind, could pave the way for people who were born male to have children through IVF. Um, it does mention that the surgery was performed on a trans transgendered woman once before but the woman died from complications um, however dr k said he is very optimistic he can make success of the surgery um i so wonder that's wonderful. i'm sure this has been done but i if you've had a, a hysterectomy a woman can you get another uterus from another woman no idea i mean they can put like one they in, can a man. Put it in a man and like yeah, I don't know. I've never heard that brought up by anyone. Well, do you want to read these two? Okay, Dr. K told the mirror, uh, every transgender woman wants to be as female as possible, and that includes being a mother. The way towards this uh, with a uterine transplant, the same as a kidney or any other transplant. 
This is the future. We cannot predict exactly when this will happen, but it will happen very soon. We have our plans and we are very, very optimistic about this. Isn't there a proverb about men having their plans? <laughs> yeah. And what that little last sentence there where he says, this is the future. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so desperately important that we get out and speak about this to those that we love because I don't doubt him that this is the future. But my question... But, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because he says the... A transgender woman wants to be female as possible, and that includes being a mother. And then people argue, oh, you're a mother even if you adopt, though. Why can't they say, well, this transgender woman can adopt and they can be a mother? So is it that they want to be, they want to give birth somehow? Because being a mother doesn't mean you give birth. This was my point when I read this, and I thought... um. I think that this is almost like the height of sexism. You know, the the left and the liberals love to decry sexism for any guy who has a higher paying job than a woman. But I'm sure they would be all in favor of this. But to me, this is the height of sexism. You're basically saying, I want to take the one thing that is truly woman and I want to take it from her and give it to a man. Like, how sexist could you possibly be? Not to mention, we're talking about abortion right now, uh, today, and... What if this man got an abortion after he had the baby growing well, in his again, womb? Well, again, that is a thought I had, was oh, like... Oh, were you going there? No, <laughs> but I did think, like, I wonder if they would be in favor of him aborting the fir- I mean, he'd probably be a rock star in the world. I'm the first oh man gosh. to get pregnant and abort the baby, but more wow. to that... The pro-abortionists, right? Because one of their main claims that they have is, ah, well, the abortion industry is screwed up. The foster care system is screwed up. So these kids are going to come into hard times. But like here, right, we have men who want to have babies. That's what this guy's telling us. These would, in the pro-abortionist mind, otherwise be people that would be adopting these babies that we don't want killed. So. Rather, they're going to let the other babies rot in terrible adoption homes and foster care systems so that they can go and have their own baby, um, even though we would not agree with homosexual adoption or male babies. Um, so it just it seems weird, like rather than being like, hey, man, if you guys want to have babies, rather than trying to surgically steal what's uniquely women, man, there's a lot of kids that need homes right now. Why don't you go and Adopt. Adopt one of them. And you can be a mother in your mind that way. <laughs> so, but I think this is, I just don't know what the motive for these people is. Like, is it demonic influence? Is it just simply money that they're after? Is it the pride of knowing that they're the first one to achieve this surgery? Um, but I just don't know in what sane mind you see this as a uh, a necessity for the future like who's paying for this kind of unnecessary experiment like yeah like that's and i think it's important for us as christians again and this is why our show exists to be aware of this stuff because we have to start talking about it 
Um, because this is the future that this man wants to create for our children to walk into where they're going to be trying to convince you that you being homosexual, that's perfectly a okay. Um, transgender, that's perfectly a okay. You know what? You don't even need a woman. We'll put a uterus in a womb in you. You can have the baby yourself. That's a okay. And I don't think man could handle. I mean, I, they can't give birth. They're gonna have to have a C-section. Like, there's no way. I don't know if that uterus. There's no canal. I don't understand at all. I don't understand the surgery. There will be. It can't contract. I don't get it. Like, I don't. I can't imagine. No. But I don't think if it's possible. But I don't think a man could handle that pain. Well, it's just, just they weren't designed to handle that kind of pain. I don't know. It just it seems so demonic to me. Um, and it seems like the height of sexism, the height of hatred of women to just take the most unique thing about them, the most pure woman thing about them, that they would be the ones to carry and give birth. And you're going to take it from, because then at that point you can just say, yeah, we don't need you. Why do we even have women on this earth anymore? They're useless. Men can do like, this is almost you know, the James, I think, right, tells us that when sin is fully conceived, it brings forth death. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm yeah. paraphrasing. But here you go, right? The sin of what the feminist movement really has turned into, right? Because the feminist movement was kind of... I can do anything. Women and men do. are equal. And then... Or it's like women's rights. And then it became women and men are equal. And now it's like women are better than men. Um and now it's women are men, basically, is what it's turned into. So the sin... So the men don't feel unique anymore. They're like, well, I might as well be a woman since all the women are men. <laughs> yeah, like your feminist movement has turned out. into, we no longer need women. I'm sure that's not how you saw it turning out. Um, but that's what Dr. Casey's... And how are we fixing it? <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll just doll these men up. They'll look... You know, there's a pretty sinful saying uh, that I've learned from my military years. I've never been to uh, Southwest Asia, um, but lady boys are a thing in Southwest Asia. Bangkok, Thailand is very notorious for transgendered men. And they used to, all, you know, one of the things I've always heard is they're like, you don't ever want to mess with a 10. You know, if you see a girl that is just outrageously gorgeous and she's interested in you that's a guy so steer clear of those ones Gosh. again i've never been there that's just something i've heard and so here you go we're making prettier women than women we're gonna have birth that women can have we're gonna well they have guys point, on all like the makeup ads now and yeah so I mean, they do. They look prettier than some girls. Oh, yeah. If you want the, uh, you know, all the supermodel, it used to be, right, like the six-foot-tall women with narrow waist and broad shoulders. That's a guy. <laughs> Guys are going to be better supermodels than women now, too. So Gosh. here's Dr. K's future where women are unnecessary anymore. So that's what feminists have brought you. You're no longer necessary on planet Earth. Anywho, that was a fun talk. Let's what get is to our topic. <laughs> we are gonna get to gluttony, dog on it, because we've been wanting to talk about gluttony for really years and years. So, um, 
yeah, as we mentioned, you know, when we first sort of started going into this seven deadly sins talk that we started, you know, it was like, we want to talk about gluttony. Um, just because it seems like it's such a undiscussed sin in America and it's a sin that we feel like is largely even encouraged in the church. Um, it's definitely not discouraged in the church. Um, and that's always yeah. struck me as odd, you know, so we wanted to talk about it. You know, we mentioned before when we first started this podcast, one of the things that really jump-started us in talking about this was a church that we went to and, you know, how that church had kind of shut down through COVID a couple times and we had issues with it. But also the pastor there, um, he was very large, um, very, very obese. I don't know why. We never really discussed it, maybe to my own um, neglect. I never discussed that and found out why. I, you know, maybe it was something diabetes. I don't know what it could have been, but he was very large. And me and Nikki always, you know, talked about this. I always had an issue with it. Um, he was a great teacher of the yes. word. He could preach really good. He could explain the word really good, which is why we kept going because yeah. the, teaching the teaching was, was great, great. But I was always like, man, this really hampers your testimony, um, I think, to be this large. Um, so that's always been sort of in the back of my head, like gluttony is something that never really gets talked about. Um, and that was, you know, my thought with this pastor, like, here's a sin that I would imagine you have very little room to preach on, you know, because I think it's second Timothy, isn't it? Or first Timothy, where it talks about a church bishop, a ministry leader should be above reproach kind of a thing. And I'm like, this is an area where, I mean, again, outside of some sort of medical thing, I don't know, but you're not above reproach here. So like, how do you sit there? You know, it's like having an affair on your wife and trying to preach on a biblical marriage. You obviously are given over to gluttony. So how do you preach yeah. on gluttony? It's how like, do you preach on self-control in, in general is what I was thinking. Yeah. So that was something that's really been in the back of my mind um, for a long time. So we're like, we got to talk about this, but let's not just go straight to gluttony and leave the rest off. That's why we'll kind of talk about all the seven deadly sins because we still see them in our world today. And if you want to go back and check those older episodes and hear what we've talked about on the other, um, the other sins and just the deadly sins in general, you can find those um, going back through the catalog there. But we do like to start with why is gluttony a sin? Um, mm -hmm. Because the Bible speaks a lot about gluttony, in fact, um, a lot more than some of the other deadly sins. Um, it speaks about gluttony. So just pulling up from BibleStudyTools.com, it had this to say. It says, here the distinction between bad habits and the sin of gluttony is clear. In the life of a glutton, their desire is their God. For some, it can even become a substitute for relationships, self-worth, self and worship of the Lord. Hmm. And then I just put down there that I think it's a sin because it dismisses the work of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And mm -hmm. I think with gluttony, it's the most obvious to the outside world that we lack the fruit of the Spirit working in us. Yeah. And then there's still some people who 
they can, you know, be gluttons, but they might have a really high metabolism to hide it. So some people can hide that sin. It's not always. Yes. Not everybody. Not just overweight people who deal with gluttony. Yes. Like it's I not. could probably be a glutton and then you wouldn't really know it. You would just, people would just think I was pregnant. Yes. America, <laughs> Nikki's better than all of us. Like, Even her just, metabolism is better you, than I gain weight like just in my stomach is what I mean. Just kidding. That's no. why. <laughs> yes. Everyone's metabolism is different, right? But the ones that unfortunately have a bad metabolism or not as great, it's a very obvious sign and sin to see. Um, and I did just want to touch on because there are the, uh, the medical, you know, oh, well, what about, I have a thyroid issue. And I was, so I went and looked it up. There's two to 3% of America has hyperthyroidism that can lead to some unwanted or un, um, I guess, unearned weight gain, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's pretty And then, you know, there's diabetes and there's some other medical issues, but over 40% of America is obese, not just overweight, but obese. So two to 3% hyperthyroidism, there's your diabetics and stuff like that. Uh, but I would have to see, you know, when I was thinking about those numbers, it was like the whole diabetes and hyperthyroidism is to the gluttony discussion, what rape and incest is to the pro-abortion argument. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, they exist. Yeah. Okay, but that's not what we're talking about here. So, um, and yeah. again, I don't want to upset anybody, but you know, it is a sin and it's worth discussing. So if you have given in, and here's the thing with gluttony, we've all been guilty of gluttony. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, some of us have a better metabolism. Some of us are kissed by God like Nikki. So she, she told us just a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, some aren't, right? So, but we're all guilty of this sin. And yeah, I can't hide it from God. Like, it's about, are you obeying God's commandments? Like, you can hide it yeah. from everybody else, but really, you should want to not be a glutton. Because right, and that's the thing, right? Because we're, we're all, we've all given into gluttony. We're all guilty of it. Um, but it's just the idea that we don't talk about it. Yeah. Of all the sins in the world that we discuss and we have disagreements and arguments about when was the last time you were at a church potluck and, you know, Susie was going back up for her third slice of cake and the pastor was like, Susie? <laughs> and, but he would do that, right? Because if you walked in and everyone was there for a get together and I was just sitting there with my laptop pulled up watching porn, the pastor would be like, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> He would stop that, right? But if I'm just like pounding down cake after cake, they'd just be like, oh, boy, do you got an appetite. <laughs> no, man, yeah. it's called gluttony. It's a sin. So yeah. I just want, you know, we need to stop pretending, making excuses for our sins. Um, you know, I, we need the Bible verse, right? We need to pull the planks out of our own eyes. So we need to remove the hoagies from our own plates before we can worry about the hoagies the on hoagie. our neighbor's plate. Um, Does everybody know what a hoagie is or just call it a sub? I didn't for the longest time. <laughs> you can call it a sub. You can call it a, I don't know. Is there another name for it? A sub, a hoagie. I don't know. I can't think of one. What's another name for a hoagie? 
Um, if you know another name, let us know in the comments. If you know another name, you're a glutton. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then we use this article here for a lot of the, what we were looking up for on gluttony. Um, where does it say it? Um, let me see if I can find it really quick. I can't find it, but this is where we found it. It says in its most basic form, gluttony strikes at the very root of what Christian living means. We are disciples and our actions have to be disciplined, mm -hmm. but gluttony is an act of indiscipline. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was wrong, but they actually wrote indiscipline. So again, that's why it's a sin. It's a lack of discipline. And we as Christians should be people of discipline self-control um so i definitely think it's something that needs to be discussed more especially in america where gluttony seems to be such a big problem um so what is gluttony you know we talked about why it's a sin but what is it and the king james dictionary says gluttony is one who indulges to excess in eating one eager of things to excess so we know we most often think of gluttony in the form of eating, overeating, excessive eating and stuff like that. Um, and that's right. That's generally what it is and what it's referring to. But you can be gluttonous in other areas as well. Um, I thought of that quote, you know, the glutton for punishment. I guess it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's truth, but you can always, you know, somebody that gets hurt a lot or does dumb things a lot. You're like, just a glutton for punishment. So you can be gluttonous in other areas. But typically, when you're talking about gluttony, you're talking about excessive eating. And it says down here, gluttony has to do with excessive overeating. So it's not just you ate too much at Thanksgiving that one time. That's not gluttony. It's the excessive overeating. Um, you know, where overeating is sort of your baseline. Mm -hmm. Whenever I eat, I overeat. Mm -hmm. um, which in America, I would say that's basically the standard anymore is overeating um mm. want to see if i can oh, what did i do with that i had a little chart here oh no it's gone um hmm. let me see if i can find it nope so i had a little chart here but you know we know that in america right in especially if you're an older fella or lady now, um, that portion sizes have gotten much bigger in recent years. You know, and I had a chart that was basically going back from 1970s. And it was saying, you know, in 1970s, a bagel was 150 calories. Today, a standard bagel is 300 calories. Um, you know, everything has basically doubled or tripled in size. You know, there's been studies and stuff, people that have talked about how the average plate size when you go to a restaurant has gotten a lot bigger than what it used to be. And what's interesting is as our plate sizes get bigger, as our portions get bigger, the food quality gets worse. Mm -hmm. So we're eating more and it's less healthy for us. Um, but that's gluttony, right? Where when you, your standard eating is overindulgence, Mm -hmm. then that's gluttony. Yeah. And it's say. like our generation. I remember when I worked at the retirement home before we were married and I worked in the, in the dining area and it was a, a buffet, but I, I noticed that 
the the residents there they they did they put like smaller portions on their plate and I wondered like oh I wonder why they can't eat a lot like why are they not that hungry it's just they were eating a normal amount like what they were used to probably growing up eating that way eating more at home and we're just in this culture where we're like like restaurants are telling us what is a portion size so when we're even at home eating we're trying to make it look like what we would get if we were out at a restaurant we yeah, and it's normal. also one of those things where, and again, this may not be medically correct, I don't know, but, you know, the more you eat and your stomach stretches, the more you need to eat, right, to feel that same level of full. So if you're used to eating a full box of spaghetti and meatballs, you know, for every meal, well, then just two pieces of bread with two slices of ham in between it really isn't going to do the trick for you, even though calorically, According to your body, that may be all you need, yeah. but you're not going to feel the way that you're used to feeling when you're that full. So the more you eat, the more you have to eat to continue yeah. feeling the way that you think you need to feel when you're full. So it's all, yeah, it's a problem that sort of snowballs on itself. And you're right. You, I'm used to going out. And when I order, I go to Subway to get a sub and it's a foot long sub filled with veggies and dressings and meats. And I get double meat because, you know, I'm a man. So why not? <laughs> But yeah, so you're used to eating this foot-long sub when really, do you need that? No, you could probably say that's overeating. Um, And then you get into the whole realm of people like me who think they're athletic. You're like, well, I've worked out. I need to eat that whole box of spaghetti, right, for to be anabolic and grow. You eat a lot at dinner. I'll like make his plate sometime and I think it's a lot. I always just try to make his a little more than our boys because they are really hungry. I mean, they're growing. And then he'll go back and he'll add more to his plate before we all sit down. I'm like, oh, was it good enough she for you? She just outed me, America. <laughs> Gosh, well, it's darn it. because I cook so well. You just can't no. get enough. <laughs> but, and again, yeah, I mean, obviously we're guilty of gluttony just the same as everybody else. But we are aware of it because um, it is something that we, you know, discuss with our kids and we do try our best to not get seconds. Um, we have one son in particular who <laughs> is just a garbage disposal of a human. Um, so it's constantly like, no, give yourself time to be full and you'll realize that you're full. You know, drink a glass of water and it'll fill you up yeah. kind of a thing. So, um, but yeah, Nikki just threw me under the bus. Oh, so I on. appreciate that. I'm going to go <laughs> punish myself after this for that. So, um yeah, it's not just the idea of overeating occasionally. We're all liable to do that occasionally, but it's just a consistent, you know, constant mm-hmm. overeating kind of a thing that leads to obesity. Yeah, um, yeah. Because when you just have one big Thanksgiving meal, you're not obese after that. But when every meal over the course of years and years and years is excessive, you become obese. Yeah, it's okay to go and enjoy a feast. Like, I you know, we have love feasts at our church once a month and... And the kids, they get what they want on their plate. There's a lot of healthy options. Most people there do bring something really healthy. We eat lots of vegetables and meat and just a few desserts, really. But I think it's okay. You're having a feast and there's plenty of food. And Well, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I would still caution in that sense that like, if you're going into it with the intention of I'm about to stuff myself. Oh, like it is like, it's not golden corral. Yeah. Yeah. You need to temper yourself. You know, if you're in the situation where you're like, 
oh, I can't believe I grabbed that much food. Yeah. You know, whatever. We I mean, we all know our hearts, right? If you know what you're doing going into it. Yeah, yeah. Then I would tell you that you might be willfully sinning in that sense. But it's hard not to when it is something where there's all these options. You just do. You're like, oh, I want to try a little of this and a little of that. And, you know, it's like homemade food people brought. And you're like, it's probably not. It's not as bad as restaurant food. It's healthier. I mean, how can I get married at 20 years old when there's all these other options that I haven't tried yet out oh. there in the world? <laughs> right, Nikki? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I should stick to one kind of food. <laughs> yes. Yogurt. Greek yogurt. That's all you need. Um, I need... Nikki is my Greek yogurt. <laughs> so we do want to touch on what the Bible says about gluttony. Because again, the Bible talks a lot about gluttony. So we're not going to go through every verse because it would take much too long. Um, so we just want to highlight a few scriptures here. So if you want to read this first one, honey. Uh, Proverbs 28, 7. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Yep. Brings shame on your father if you're one of them gluttons. Don't be hanging out with those gluttons, kid. Yeah, a bunch <laughs> of gluttons and perverts over there. Um, here in Proverbs 19 through 21, it says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine bibbers or with glutton or gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. And first Corinthians ten thirty one says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah, that's not something we think yeah. about very often is eating for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um and then the last one here from Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Um, I think that one's pretty powerful. Your God is your belly. Mm. Um that yeah. I think is pretty convicting when you're just pounding food down. Mm-hmm. So how do we see gluttony in our world? You know, as I mentioned, I think this is the most readily identifiable sin that a person gives into. Um, you know, you can see a glutton from 100 yards away, again, if they're not blessed with that great metabolism. You know, we have holidays that are even basically have devolved into gluttonous affairs. You know, and that's mm-hmm. not just Thanksgiving. Halloween in this country is essentially a gluttonous holiday. I know. It is. I feel like every holiday is really just like an excuse to overindulge. Like it's encouraged. And, and I was thinking like, that's so, that's why it's so hard to lose weight. Um, because every month or even more often than every month, um, there's some reason to buy candy as a gift for whatever the occasion is. And so you have Halloween, you know, and then Thanksgiving with, the pies and just all the good carb food. And then there's Christmas, which is full of candy and get togethers too. all the different things people do, all the different like Christmas parties they go to. So it's several, several days all through December and there's new years. Um, and then you're determined your new year's resolution. You're determined to lose that weight now, but then look what temptations lie right ahead. And I was thinking, what's the number of weeks? that people stick to a diet. And I was like, it's probably six weeks because February 14th pops up just to interrupt that diet because it's all about chocolate. So 
that's the loving thing that you do for your wife is um, get her some chocolate and ruin that New Year's resolution for her. Yeah. And then I was thinking uh, St. Patrick's Day in March. Uh, that brings out the al- alcoholic in everyone. I don't know why. That's I don't know why that's become like a day to drink for people. But then, then after that, I don't know. I'm probably missing some holidays. But does it seem Easter? wrong to make deviled eggs for Easter? Deviled eggs. <laughs> that seems like a sin. That's probably I don't my know. favorite thing. But yeah, then Easter is like oh, this giant chocolate Easter bunny. I gotta eat that. Like I mean, this is mostly the kids probably indulging more than the adults. But like. You're teaching them. This is the way. And then it's just like another Thanksgiving gorging day when it's... Then you got Mother's Day too, which just passed. And you get more candy. And there's a Memorial Day week. I don't know. There's just so many holidays. Like all these reasons to get together and drink and all the barbecues and every holiday fourth of july everything get together and eat 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 drink 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 like that's our culture that's what we do to celebrate we celebrate through gluttony through right. overeating and, and over drinking be self-controlled and disciplined and be thoughtful before you walk into something and not yeah. go you know i'm just gonna stuff myself so um yeah I found that website that i've mentioned earlier you can talk about plate sizes getting bigger and bigger in america um, and you can just see it right here. 20 years ago to today, you know, the size of a muffin, 210 calories to 500 pasta doubled huh. French fries is almost tripled. Soda has tripled, you know, all these different little things, even something like a Turkey sandwich we talked about basically huh. two and a half times. So, you know, that's just a real quick look at it, but yeah, so Again, holidays are there to always break our will. Plate sizes, our desires, all that stuff has just gotten out of whack with gluttony. And I think largely it's because, uh, not to mention the fact that we have food network channels that are essentially porn for gluttonous people to just sit and watch all this delicious, unhealthy food by and large be cooked and, you know, sort of whet that appetite. You know, what porn would do for the lust. Uh, the lustful person, you know, the Food Network channel does for the glutton. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's everywhere. And we never seem to have somebody preaching against it. Like at least with lust and sexual immorality, we have people speaking out against it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's tempered it somewhat. But with gluttony, it just seems the gate's wide open and nobody well, seems to want to stop it. I think a good way pastors could jump into talking about the sin of gluttony is to just tie it in with drunkenness. Because drunkenness... Um, you can see it as a cousin of gluttony, where both are often used to mask pains, loneliness, loss, whatever. Like a lot of people use food as a as a coping mechanism. I mean, I I'll eat when I'm stressed. I will. I'll start like, oh, I need some chocolate. I know I brought that up before, but a lot of women are like that. I don't know why it's mostly women, but they're the weaker vessel. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think. I mean. That's an easy way to bring it up, yeah, without necessarily just calling out the glutton. Yeah. But I'd say a better way to bring it up is just call out the glutton. Um, we can't be fearful of discussing what's in Scripture. You know, if that's your job as a pastor, you've signed up for a position of taking on hard issues head on. Well, he can bring up the verse about where they accuse Jesus of uh, being 
a wine bibber and a, and a glutton. Like they put that hand in hand. Yeah. Which is important to bring up that Jesus was not in fact a glutton because that would have been a sin and he would no longer be our savior. Um, so I just thought like, have you ever repented for overeating? Like if you ever just ride on the ground, you're like, Lord, forgive me. We should, right? I mean, gluttony is a sin. We should repent for it. Um, yeah. I don't know that I've ever repented for overeating. I may repent tonight for my overindulgence in food, my over excess, but I don't know. But people it, have repented of next time you're at a family get together just and you eat too much, just cry out in repentance, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner for my gluttony. And we get a joke. I'm not kidding. I think gluttony is a very serious thing that we've Yeah. We've all we just overlook. We don't even care about it anymore. Yeah, um, I think we need to look at it. Which that is way. a shame because really we obesity do. and heart disease I mean heart disease outside of abortion abortion's the number one killer in america heart disease is number two and often that heart disease is wrapped around obesity and Mm -hmm. poor eating choices and we just let it go nobody talks about it and the bible speaks about it often and we just overlook it and i don't think we can do that anymore and you know they do offer up a counter to gluttony you know as with every deadly sin there's a counter um this one is a bit weird but it says the counter for gluttony is abstinence. Um, and according to the King James Dictionary again, um, the translation of God, as they would Gosh. tell you. <laughs> um, in general, the act or practice of voluntarily refraining from or forbearing any action. So abstinence from anything which could be deemed labor, which don't really care about that second part, but um, voluntarily refraining from. So again, that makes sense. And, you know, when you think about abstinence, voluntarily refraining from being gluttonous, um, you could think of it more in today's sense of self-control. I know, but if you don't have self-control, just don't go to all those get-togethers for every holiday. Just don't even put the temptation before you. It's like, if you have to take it that far, then take it that far. I'll give you guys a behind the scenes for me and Nikki's life. I was thought quite poorly of when the kids asked if we could go to Golden Corral and Nikki was on board with it. And I had to put my foot down and say, we're not going to Golden Corral. For Mother's Day. And I was the, uh, I was the villain that day mm-hmm. for wishing my family well and yep. to walk in the light as he is in the I light. I just wanted to be a glutton for Mother's Day. Oh. Jeez. <laughs> So um, (laughs) with all the stuff that we've talked about, this is a very long episode. So if you stuck with us, God bless you. Um, Do you have any last thoughts about the things that we have talked about today? Um, Just thinking, I mean, we need to, I know we joke a lot about the gluttony thing, but recognizing it is a sin and you have to realize um, you are slowly killing yourself from it. Like you said, it causes heart issues and another problems. So I think that's the biggest motivator for people to practice self-control or abstinence. I mean, for me, when I was just having that back pain and I'm like, well, I need to have a little self-control and abstain from certain foods, which is really hard still, but I get it. Why abstinence is the counter one. Um, so this isn't just about gluttony. It's eating things that are not healthy for us. And I was thinking how 
There wasn't like processed foods and chemicals and dyes and sugars added to food like when these instructions were written to us, you know, in biblical times. They didn't they didn't have these problems. So we're aware that those things are in food and we need to say no to food that isn't healthy. So it's not just saying like you're, I don't know if you're like being a glutton or if it's along the same lines because you're willfully eating things that are destroying you and overeating even of healthy things, things can destroy you. They both damage your body. So I was just looking at it in that light because there's some people who aren't gluttons. They don't overeat, but when they eat, they're only eating like fast food. So the same effect is going to happen. So yeah. we need to abstain from unhealthy eating habits. So I know there's um, that verse about not eating too much honey. That's the only one I can think yeah. of in scripture. But um, so we can apply just eating junk food in general to the gluttony category, I think. Uh, yeah, because we have to practice abstinence all the same. Yeah, I agree. So um, yeah, it's funny that the counter today to gluttony is abstinence, which is also the counter to many abortions. Funny enough that that's hmm. what we'll be talking about today. So you should s practice abstinence unless you're married um, in the realm of abortion. And you should practice abstinence at all times in the realm of overeating. Um, works in both cases. That must have been Providence <laughs> that today we would talk about gluttony. Um, but for our sermon recommendation, we are, um, we have never recommended a sermon from our wonderful pastor, Pastor Bill Kane. So we thought, you know what, we'll recommend a sermon today. And it just so happened to be the sermon that we were recommending. I was watching through and listening to it a little bit again. And I happened to be doing the Bible reading that Sunday. So yours truly is on the tape there. And Pastor Kane is a great pastor, very good at, um, he's a teacher at heart. You know, even the way he preaches and prepares, yeah. it's a teacher, which is funny because he's a teacher. Um, so, yep. <laughs> you know, he's a great pastor, really opens the word up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean... It's amazing, you know, for someone like me, and I've talked about Scott, who I will go to do the jail ministry with and how he can just, you know, seem so unprepared to me, but just want, you know, have a couple verses written down and he can preach for two hours on it. And as Pastor Kane, we'll go in and be like, oh, I wonder what we're, pre you know, what he's preaching about today. And it's like <laughs> Luke 8, 15, you're like one verse, that's what you're <laughs> preaching. And it's like, just open it up and dissect it, you know, six ways from Sunday. So um, it's really good. Hope you guys will enjoy it. But that is all we got. We'll be back Monday with the daily devotionals. Um, and then next week, I have an idea of what I want to talk about. Um, we'll see if we get to it or if abortion takes up more of our thought processes. But that is all we got for you guys today. Love you. God bless. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. 
If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp.